Guide to Politics. I am Liz Philippos, and I'm here to offer an expanded perspective into this moment in our collective political lives so that we come to a deeper awareness of our capacity to transform and transcend the present paradigm as agents of transformation. Each week, I talk with creative leaders about their spiritual understanding of the current political moment the possibilities for the well-being of our planetary lives and the life of the planet itself. They inspire us to know that the personal is political and the political is spiritual. There are tremendous possibilities for transformation when we really come to know this. And so today we have Dr. David Nichol, who's going to tell us about the concept of subtle activism. David is the founder and executive director of the Gaia Field Project and Institute for Subtle Activism. He's also co-founder of one of the largest global meditation events that occurs annually on the Day of International Peace. He teaches on subtle activism in the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He also teaches for the Gaia Field Project and for the Institute for Subtle Activism. A former environmental lawyer from Australia, he now lives in Berkeley with his wife, Kate. David is the author of Subtle Activism, The Inner Dimension of Social and Planetary Transformation, This book brings together studies that document the impact of meditation, prayer, and other practices on politics. His work goes to the heart of the matter, the underlying consciousness that reproduces problems. By engaging this consciousness that gives rise to problems, David invites us to approach politics from a much larger field of awareness, one that affords us a greater range of possible solutions to what is an urgent set of questions. So welcome to the show, David. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much, Liz. Mm -hmm. It's a joy to be here. Mm -hmm. And so let's start by talking about this concept of subtle activism. What is it? How does it work? How do you know? (laughs) Yeah. So subtle activism is a focus on the potential of our practices themselves, the consciousness-based practices, meditation, prayer, ritual, and so on, to be a subtle form of action that I maintain has a potentially crucial role in supporting real change in our world as part of a more holistic or integral approach to social change. And so it's in the lineage, it's in the spirit of other spiritually inspired social movements like um, that of Martin Luther King or <clears throat> Gandhi or Thich Nhat Hanh, these um, famous socially engaged spiritual leaders. Um, but in particular, what we are focusing on 
is the potential of the of the practices themselves um, and so the idea here is that uh, especially these days that we have the technology that allows us to link uh, many many thousands of people and different cultures and different parts of the world for uh, shared synchronized meditations and prayers uh, with a with a um, shared intention to bring healing to our world that there's a new potential that's coming into our space um, that I believe uh, is significant and uh, may introduce a shift at a very deep causal level of consciousness mm. that can ripple out uh, in um, perhaps mysterious ways but nonetheless significant ways uh, as part of this uh, shift that you know many of us are feeling um, this initiation that we feel like we're going through as mm -hmm. a collective. Uh, so we're talking about things like mass meditations that focus specifically on bringing through a certain presence, a certain healing, peaceful presence, let's say, that can have a soothing effect into the collective. And I think it's uh, critically important right now, actually, that we activate these new potentials to counter the widespread anxiety and uh, confusion that seems to be accompanying these very uh, chaotic times of ours. Mm -hmm. Can you say a bit about what you mean by spirituality or consciousness-based practices? Yeah. Yeah, I tend to define those very broadly because I know they mean different things for different people. And I mean, in general, I'm talking about kinds of practices most people associate with spirituality or consciousness, things like meditation, prayer, ceremony or ritual. I tend to view spirituality as anything that brings through a sense of the sacred, something that is tends to support more of a realization of our underlying unity mm -hmm. and interconnection mm -hmm. and I know that that can play out in many different ways uh, it doesn't even need to be explicitly spiritual I, I think a practice that for example invokes a sense of um, reverence for the natural world would in my view be a spiritual practice um, whether or not that word is, is is adopted so it's a fairly broad definition but one that brings in that sense of reverence for uh, the sacred dimensions of, of life and reality mm -hmm. what's the impact I guess of seeing something sacred or seeing another being as sacred uh, well to me it's a natural recognition that emerges when we when we have that awareness that we are fundamentally connected, that we're not essentially separate, that we're part of one reality. And then that naturally gives rise to a sense of honoring the other as you know, part of the one life force that we're part of. So to me that, uh, which is you know, inherently sacred, we inherently have a sense of reverence towards that and we recognize it innately in ourselves, and then we can recognize that innately in others when we have a perspective that expands beyond the, the usual egoic sense of us being separate beings. So to me, it's a very natural recognition that flows from that kind of realization. Yeah, and so crucial to recognize our unity, our connectedness, our 
oneness with life, with life itself, mm-hmm. not just other humans, but the life of the planet. Exactly. What I do want to emphasize in all of this, though, is that because I think for many of us in our modern world, we have so many ideas and associations with, with the concept of spirituality and the sacred, what's important to me is to actually give people an experience. Um, this is where the emphasis on the practice is so important. It's mm-hmm. not so much about the concept of spirituality, but it's about entering into uh, a deeper uh, felt sense of that unity. And whatever words we apply to that experience, having when we have the experience, it can lead to important shifts in our in our behavior. Uh, when we realize that we 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 feel ourselves more profoundly connected, especially with people of perhaps different cultures, different religions, different political orientations to us. Yet, if we can meet in a ground where we sense our silent unity together, then um, that can have a profound effect on people. Um, And again, regardless of what you call that experience, spiritual, sacred, or just, you know, an important human experience. Um, But it's the experience that counts. Yeah, I really like that. I like that about the research that you've done and the uh, emphasis of this concept that it is Uh, about our practices, that it is about a lived experience of how we know ourselves in relation to others. And it goes beyond, well beyond just some some words, just an intellectual understanding, but it's really about becoming that thing itself. Right. Becoming the unified field of awareness. Right. Well, this this approach, it's, it's taking a step beyond what I would call interreligious dialogue or even cross partisan political dialogue into this experiential field of interconnection and unity. And I feel like that is a crucial step that inspires a more profound level of unity consciousness, a more profound level of realizing that we can work together, that that what what unites us is more uh, important and, and fundamental than what divides us, but it's in that practice that we tend to encounter that sort of awareness. Right, and so it's not just a one-time meditation, but an intention to come to that awareness on a regular basis, yeah? Right. I mean, it's just like having a personal meditation practice. It's not a one-time deal. It's it's, it's more of a, a lifestyle and an orientation, and so... What I feel excited about with this practice is I feel like what we're observing is something awakening in the species, the human species. More and more groups and more and more initiatives are emerging that are interested in, in this, these new capacities of collective consciousness and interested in how we can harness that on a more consistent basis. So I think it's, it's some, it's an exciting new potential that, that human species is discovering that could become in time a more ongoing practice that many tens of thousands of people around the planet do as part of a way of bringing through uh, the foundations of a planetary culture of wisdom, mm-hmm. peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be a, a natural foundation of that kind of, of culture. Yes. It just uh, occurs to me, you know, I, a number of spiritual people that I know 
are resistant to the idea that politics ought to be part of their attention. Or, yeah. the, you know, I know a lot of people who just refuse to pay attention to it because it's so negative. Right. And so what what do you say to spiritual people who do have a practice, who do have an awareness of yeah. oneness? You know, what's their entry point to politics that makes sense? Yeah, it's a really good question. This is, <clears throat> in many ways... A large part of the intention and purpose behind this this work of, of subtle activism it's to build a bridge between the consciousness movement all the people engaged in inner work uh, these inner technologies of transformation to build a bridge between that world and the worlds of peace movements sustainability movements social justice movement they have typically been with, with a few exceptions, like I mentioned earlier, uh, have been kept separated. But the wisdom that's in the consciousness movement about transformation, I believe, is very needed to flow through more into those other movements, into the public sphere in general. And to me, it's really about having the intention to offer the fruits of our spiritual practice mm-hmm. and our spiritual work, our inner work, our awareness of the, the of unity, of more fundamental unity, our awareness of the the sacredness of mm-hmm. all life, uh, especially the earth. I think to, in today's world, in particular, with the ecological crisis we're facing, it's vital that more of an awareness of the inherent sacredness of the earth permeate the public realm so that it's not just a technical conversation about how we address that but it's a more profound conversation about you know how we deeply relate to the earth so for spiritually oriented people who have up to now not been so interested in in politics because of the polarization and everything that we see there this actually offers a way to contribute in a way that's deeply consistent with their values and ideals and and their practices so that what we're doing is we're coming together as a group and in a sense pooling our collective wisdom our collective uh, healing capacities our collective presence Mm -hmm. and just with our intention we're offering that into the collective with a view that in doing so that there is a bleed-through effect on, on, on a subtle level, that it makes that, that, that kind of awareness more available to, to everyone in the, in the collective. Mm-hmm. And so it's a way that you know, spiritual people can contribute, I think, in a way that doesn't mean that they have to get embroiled in the, in the you know, unsavory side of politics that that the intense polarization is actually contributing from a place of profound love and awareness. Mm -hmm. And kind of by right of consciousness, spiritual people have so much to contribute just by the fact of what what we're aware of through our practices. Exactly. And I think, too, it's important to recognize that Part of the reason that these two worlds have tended to be separated, the world of politics and the world of spirituality, there are important historical reasons for that. It's not just us personally choosing. Uh, it's also we've inherited a society that has kept those two apart. 
and uh, historically, for good reasons, we, you know, in the West, you can see that we developed much of the structure of our modern society through the scientific revolution, the political revolutions that brought forth the separation of church and state. And a lot of that, of course, was very valuable and freeing for humanity to liberate ourselves from the dominance of religious dogma. But what we're seeing now is that maybe we went too far. And one of the effects of that separation was that all of our spirituality pretty much was relegated to the private realm. And the wisdom that we can find there in, in the spiritual, in the spiritual awareness is not really welcomed as a true source of guidance anymore into the public sphere. And this is sort of unique, I think, to modern societies. If you go back to ancient cultures, indigenous cultures, they didn't have that separation. They looked to their shamans or their mystics and seers for guidance about important social, political matters. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I'm saying is that there there is a role just for the the consciousness the the um as I was saying before, the awareness of our fundamental unity in our polarized world that alone is such a significant contribution that needs to come into our public awareness more and in our modern rational conversation that dominates at the uh, public level there's not as much access to that felt sense of unity so so it's not about overturning the separation of church and state or going back to religious dogma in any way but it is about integrating some of the positive aspects of spiritual awareness uh, back into our our public mind our public consciousness mm -hmm. If you're just joining us now, you're listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics with my guest, David Nickel, the author of Subtle Activism. So, David, what you're saying kind of leads, leads me to ask you to talk a bit about what I would call the decolonial project in your book, the project of owning the shadow. And I think a number of people have described this period of time in the United States as uh, the rise of the shadow so could you say more about that? Yes. We're talking here more in terms of owning the collective shadow, or maybe you call it the planetary shadow. And in the, in the book where I talk about that, it's, it's, in, it's in the context of considering this possibility that we are seeing in, this, in our lives the emergence of a planetary, a truly integrated planetary civilization, that that's one of the potentials of... Uh, what's happening on the planet today and in the process though of coming into uh, you know, a planetary culture that has authentic unity and wisdom if we are headed more in that direction that there is this necessary process of of purification of healing of acknowledging the wounds of the past acknowledging where we have especially the modern West, you know, our legacy in terms of what we've done to other peoples in, in you know, producing this modern society, the cost of that, uh, having an honest uh, reckoning with that process. Um, 
And I think, I think, as you say, we are seeing that taking place in our world today. We're in, you know, it's not a clean process. You see the defensiveness that's showing up in relation to this process, I think, very strongly in the U.S. today and other places, all sorts of reactions that are happening. But one interpretation is that all of these sort of reactions are happening as part of a bigger, deeper process that is pushing these things more to the surface, hopefully, so that they can be uh, looked at, uh, ultimately healed, processed, and that that can be part of our journey toward a more truly integrated planetary culture. So, you know, it's a deep, messy process, but this is where some of the tools of consciousness work can really offer something because the, it's in the consciousness technologies where there's the know-how of how to transform these wounds, you know, into healing, into, into love. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that from our own personal process. And I think it's a time to apply some of that wisdom more to the collective psyche. So it's a great opportunity now to engage our imagination in the many ways that I think that is possible. Yeah, if I'm right, I'm hearing you suggest that there is a a personal uh, kind of project of healing our wounds or uh, healing our own pain through these consciousness practices of uh, cultivating compassion for our own selves, which uh, contributes to uh, a more collective compassion. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that I presume that many listeners to this call will be familiar with a process of personal healing in that way where we, and this is what the whole process of inner work is about really in many ways, is knowing how to bring a healing, compassionate presence to our own wounds, to the, you know going back in time, doing our work of where we got hurt, where there were places of conflict in our lives, and we know from experience what it's like to heal some of those, to heal those wounds, to become more whole through doing that, through recovering parts of ourselves that have been split off uh, because of the pain. We, you know, we, we understand that process on a personal level, but this is where, you know, I, I feel passionate about it's, it's uh, a moment in time where we can start to bring that know-how beyond just the healing of our individual psyches and apply it more to the collective psyche because there's an urgent need for that to take place in our world today. Mm -hmm. And it's where I think there's a unique contribution of those from the consciousness movement who have the skills and and the methods that bring that kind of healing. And so now we can start to imagine how we do that more effectively on a collective scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you see that happening in just your uh, your circles? Are you? Yes, mm-hmm. I very much do, and I see a lot of exciting initiatives emerging that are tapping into what feels like this this sort of evolutionary potential mm-hmm. to explore this interface between individual healing and collective healing. And one of the more potent methods uh, in that regard, I think, is you're seeing many different groups seem to be sharing a common intuition 
and a, and a common exploration. And that's around the potential of coherent group consciousness to bring healing at a bigger scale that has significance beyond just the individual members. So there are many groups now uh, that are exploring this, what they call the we space, and it seems to be a shift in spiritual practice beyond individual practice to more and more focusing on what happens when we come together as a group and shift into a space of us, of our, almost like the group becomes somewhat like an organism, a unified organism, or, or at least a place where our presence is pooled together and there are these emergent capacities that are beyond any of the individuals. And it seems to be a common intuition in all of these groups mm-hmm. that when that takes place, that there's something of, significant hap- of significance happening there for our culture, not just for the individuals, that, that there's a sort of amplified healing power in those groups to bring healing through uh, for the whole and not just for the individuals. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. I know that you bring together uh, a rich field of spiritually minded movements in your initiatives. And could you tell us a bit about Gaia Field, for instance, and yes. o- other things you're doing? And how can our listeners get involved? Yes. So my project, the Gaia Field Project, is our mission really has been about building the foundations for this field that we call subtle activism. And we've linked with many like-minded groups and organizations who share that mission. And we've also developed our own offerings and, and, and programs and med- public meditation. So uh, folks want to get involved in the actual practice of subtle activism, then go to our website, which is www.gaiafield.net, and you'll see there Every full moon, we have a public meditation uh, that we offer with a partner of ours, the Earth Treasure Face Global Healing Project, a beautiful global meditation every full moon. On the, on the first of each month, we offer a global shift meditation with a guest teacher. And then they want to get more into the ideas of subtle activism. My book is available uh, at the website. We also have a digital class in subtle activism. And anyone who's listening could do that class for free if you enter the coupon code GCFREE, GCFREE, and you can do that for free. Uh, And then we also offer classes in what we call Gaia Field Synergy, which is our uh, unique approach to building a group field for collective healing. And, and, And anyone could enter the code GS50 for an upcoming Gaia Field Synergy class, and you get $50 off. Code is GC free. They're both available at GaiaField.net. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So we've come to the end of our time together today. I want to thank David Nickel, author of Subtle Activism, for his book and all that he shared with us. Be sure to check out GaiaField.net and you can also go to David's website at subtleactivism.net. You've been listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics with your host, Liz Philippos, reminding you that you are it, the catalyst for transformation that you've been seeking, and the agent of peace for whom you've been waiting. Uh